Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. And if you happen to be new or visiting, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And if this is your first time with us, uh, you have joined us when we are smack in the middle of a series we're doing where we are teaching through the book of James. And we'll be in this series through most of the summer. And we are right in the middle in chapter 3. Uh, today, and our text for today is chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and the title of the message today is The Marks of True Wisdom. Well, if you've ever had kids or been around toddler age children for any period of time, you can probably relate to the following. These are the toddler property rules. I like it. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours and I steal it, it's mine. That's toddler property laws. And if you've been around toddlers, I think you can appreciate there's some truth to that. And, you know, we don't usually think of toddlers in relationship to wisdom. But if we understand wisdom the way James speaks about wisdom, what I just read to you is the wisdom of a toddler. You know, sometimes we can think of wisdom as how much we know or how much we've learned, but that's not how the Bible defines wisdom. See, wisdom isn't so much about how much we know. I mean, there are people who know a great many things uh, but aren't very wise. Wisdom is really the motives and the things we believe and hold to that guide how we live our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. I mean, obviously, Proverbs is a whole book on wisdom and how we practically live live that out in our daily lives. And really, James, in his letter that we're going through, draws quite a bit from the book of Proverbs and the things that he says in this letter. And while the Bible teaches that true wisdom is found in seeking to understand and apply the truths of God's word in life, practically speaking, we can seek to draw our wisdom from many different sources. And so as James comes to this section of his letter in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he is concerned that his readers do some evaluation, if you will, of the wisdom they are using to shape how they live their lives. James wants them to do some sober evaluation as to how much the wisdom they are relying upon is God's wisdom or from some 
other source. And really, God has preserved this section of this letter for us so we can do some evaluation as well. Because you see, the wisdom that we live by will always bear fruit in our experience of life. And if we want to evaluate the wisdom that shapes our lives, we can look at the effects or the fruit that is being produced by that wisdom. And that's exactly what James wants us to do. See, James wants to show us through this passage that the wisdom we live by will be revealed by the fruit that it bears. And that's really the big idea for the message today. The wisdom we live by will be revealed by the fruit that it bears. So before we look at this passage together, let's take a moment and pray. Lord, as we come to you today, Lord, you have given us this passage to help us be wise. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would be with us today and you would help me to speak clearly and accurately the truth of your word. And you would, Lord, speak to each of our hearts that we might do some evaluation as to the wisdom that is shaping how we live our lives. So we ask you, Lord, to fill this place now with your presence, Lord, that you would accomplish all of your good purposes for your people in this time, that you would be glorified, that the person and work of your son would be honored, and that your word would be upheld and your church would be served, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read James 3, 13 through 18 together. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James begins this section with an invitation of sorts to his readers. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? You see, there was a lot of claiming to be wise going on in the people that he is writing to. But if we were to look at the fruit of that wisdom, it wouldn't look so positive. They are using their tongue and their speech in a way that's negative and cutting one another down and offending one another. There are quarrels and conflicts. There seems to be quite a bit of self-promotion going on among them as they're expiring and, and desiring and wanting to be leaders and teachers in ways that aren't always good. And so James says, whoever among you thinks he's wise, let him step forward. Let's do a little evaluation to see if your claims are really true. 
Let's take a look at the effects and the fruit that your life is producing. Let's consider what they reveal about the wisdom that shapes your life. And in these verses, James contrasts for us two different types of wisdom. He tells us about true wisdom that comes from God. And he describes another kind of wisdom which is drawn from the world and our natural human nature. And he tells us what characterizes each of them and the kind of fruit that each of them produce. So we can evaluate how much our lives and our conduct are being shaped by one or the other. And so these two kinds of wisdom are the two points we want to consider this morning in this, from this passage. So let's look first at the wisdom that comes from the world's way of operating. And so James tells us in this text that the first thing we want to look at this morning is that worldly wisdom brings forth disorder and sinful effects. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 again. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So while we have certainly become more sophisticated and adept at what we let other people see as we grow older, there can still be some toddler wisdom that remains within us. You see, there is a wisdom that comes naturally from this fallen world that is not God's wisdom. And you know, toddlers really show us that, that you don't have to learn it or have someone teach it to you. It just seems to naturally come from within us. It's a wisdom that says, I have to look out for myself. And if I don't, I can't trust that, that anyone else will. A wisdom that believes fulfillment in life is found in putting ourselves first and in our status or what we have or can get. A wisdom that says I'm entitled to certain things in this life and I deserve these things and I will do whatever I can to get them. And you know, advertising and media, they, they play on this wisdom all the time. I mean, you deserve it advertising is a common theme in, in advertising we see all the time. I mean, think about it. You, you don't need to invest the time and energy to prepare a meal today. You can just tap your credit card at our location, plop your money down, and we'll do that for you because you deserve a break today. Lawyers tell us how much they're going to get us the settlement and money we deserve by their services. People like Super Bowl winning quarterback Joe Namath tell seniors, you need to get the health care benefits that you deserve. Even the water we drink is marketed and advertised based on you getting the quality you deserve. Politicians often use this same tactic to win votes. 
And this you-deserve-it form of wisdom is really all around us. And this wisdom, it's rooted in a belief that there are things I deserve or have a right to have or get. And there are many aspects of this kind of wisdom that James could have addressed here, but probably because of his awareness of what was going on in the churches he is writing to, he focuses on two things that can characterize this kind of wisdom. In verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So let's see if we can define these two qualities. Bitter jealousy. What's bitter jealousy? Well, here's a simple definition. Bitter jealousy is a passion or craving for what others have that often produces resentment or anger in your soul. You see, it starts with a desire to be the center of attention. We want what others have, and we crave those things for ourselves because we want the status or attention these things would bring to us. You know, as I was thinking about this, I I remember back uh, shortly after I got out of college, about a year after I was out of school, um, and this had been probably late 1977. And uh, so there was a, a friend that I knew during college who uh, lived in a different part of the country and happened to be in, in Baltimore, where I was. And uh, so contacted me, said they wanted to stop by and visit. And so she did. And we visited for a while. And at the end of the visit, I was kind of walking out with her to her car. And, and when we got to where she was parked, I saw this, if you would bring that picture up. I saw that. That is a 1978 Mazda RX-7. And at that time, I had never seen this car before. As a matter of fact, I'd never seen anything like this car before. It just looked so different and unique. Remember, this is 1978, right? And as soon as I saw that car, it was like, I coveted that car. I said, I, I, I want this. And... I would eventually get that car (laughs) and paid $8,300 for it. As a matter of fact, I remember. But the moment that I saw that car, I immediately felt myself going to envy and jealousy of this young lady. Because after all, I had graduated from a very prestigious university. She, not so much. She, however, had gotten a really good job with a big company doing something in the area of chemistry while I was struggling to survive, earning minimum wage at a sketchy employment agency. Um, And she had the money to buy this car while I was driving around in an old Volkswagen Beetle that cost $500 that was spending more time in the car repair shop than on the street. And I just remember feeling the envy and jealousy. This this just doesn't feel right. Now, I will say that I I don't think I had resentment towards her uh, because she was only there for a very brief time. Now, maybe if she lived a block away, that would have been different. And I'd seen that car all the time. But you see, that kind of jealousy or envy can then lead us to be resentful either towards God or those who have what we don't. 
And bitter jealousy, it's an, it's an envying of what other people have that often darkens our soul with resentful and negative thoughts and feelings. I think we see a picture of this in Scripture in Acts chapter 13. When the Apostle Paul and Barnabas first go to Antioch, and as was their custom, they would go into the synagogue, and the synagogue leaders would say, Brothers, do you have anything to share with us? And so they got up and they shared the gospel. And as they shared, everybody was captivated and fascinated. The leaders were interested, and they said, We really want to hear more on this. Come back tomorrow so we can hear more. So Paul and Barnabas, they come back tomorrow, but by tomorrow, word is spread throughout the city about this news they're sharing. And so the whole, it says the whole city came out to hear them. And so there were these huge crowds. And when we get to Acts 13, 45, it says this. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. You see, when they saw how many people gathered to hear Paul versus they wanted to hear Paul and not so much listen to them, they were jealous and envious and that interest in being fascinated with what Paul was saying suddenly changed. And now they're reviling him and contradicting him. That's bitter jealousy at work in their hearts. See, envy sees our worth and value found in our status or our possessions. And because we want to be the focus of others' attention and admiration, we sinfully crave the status or possessions that others have. And we resent the fact that they have them and we don't. And that resentment can then really spill over and begin to poison how we relate to life and God and people in general. Bitter jealousy or envy is a motive that can live in our heart that reveals we have bought into a worldly form of wisdom. Selfish ambition is the other characteristic James mentions in this verse. So let me give you a definition for that. Selfish ambition is a desire to put oneself or one's views forward. A self-promotion that seeks to draw others after them in a way that is factious or divisive. See, selfish ambition is a self-seeking attitude bent on gaining advantage or privilege for oneself. See, we want that privilege or position even if it comes at the expense of others or what would be best. It says, I want to be approved. I want to be applauded. I want to be admired. I want to be followed by others. I want others to think and speak well of me. And it can involve promoting my personal views or beliefs, my desire to be seen and acknowledged as right in how I think and see things. Or it can involve the pursuit of a role or position. And yet, it's not wrong to have goals or aspirations or, or even ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing. The issue is, is my pursuit of this goal for God's glory or my own? See, selfish ambition is wanting or pursuing something for my own glory. 
And it often seeks to draw others to our side or our view in a way that causes strife and division. I think we see a little picture of this in Philippians 1, verses 15 through 17, where the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the Philippians while he's imprisoned in Rome, is talking about how while he's in jail, the gospel is being shared by other people. And he says this, says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul says, while I'm here, there are some people and they're sharing the gospel sincerely out of love and I'm, they're encouraged by my imprisonment. He said, but there are others. They're just taking advantage of me being out of the picture to promote themselves and make themselves bigger and me smaller because of selfish ambition. And that kind of self-promotion leads to separation and disunity between people. I mean, people withdraw from the church or one another emotionally or physically. It's deceptive, too, and that we can be convinced that our position or view is right, that we're acting in a way that is best, that we're the ones who have the truth and the right way of seeing things. But James tells us in verse 14 that if we boast in that kind of wisdom, that selfish ambition, we're being false to and opposing God's truth. See, that's not what true wisdom looks like. Because by your very actions and attitudes, you're misrepresenting what true wisdom really is. True wisdom isn't just what we do. It's why and how we do it as well. And if bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are motives found in your heart, James says in verse 15, he says, that wisdom is not from above. It's earthly. It's from this world, not God. It's unspiritual. It is a natural wisdom that doesn't really consider God and his ways. It is even demonic, he says. Its origin and inspiration are from the devil and his kingdom. And that kind of wisdom, it, it is not God's wisdom. It is a fallen wisdom. Its true nature is evident in the fruit that it bears. Bitter jealousy, envy, selfish ambition, they produce disunity and disorder, James says in verse 16. From them flow all kinds of evil practices and results. You see, the wisdom we live by will be revealed by the fruit that it bears. And jealousy and selfish ambition will not produce good fruit in our lives or in the lives of others. They will only produce damage and destruction in the long run. But there is another kind of wisdom that James wants us to understand in this passage. It is the wisdom from above. A wisdom that is given to us by God's grace through his word. 
A wisdom that we can ask for in situations where we aren't sure what to do or how to proceed in a way that would please God. A wisdom that bears a different kind of fruit in both our lives and the lives of others. And that brings me to the second thing we want to look at in this passage, and that is that godly wisdom brings forth righteousness and peace. Let's look at verse 13 and then 17 and 18. Verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, godly wisdom shows itself not only in good works, but in how we do those works. James tells us in verse 13, the key quality that identifies godly wisdom is meekness. In the world we live in, the idea of meekness is something that is often dismissed as ridiculous. I mean, there was a man named J. Upton Dixon who, in his desire to satirically mock the idea of meekness, started an organization which he called Doormats. And the letters actually stand for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. And their motto was, the, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. And their symbol was a yellow traffic light. And see, that's just mocking the idea of meekness. And, and in our world, meekness is laughed at. It's, it's seen as weakness. But that's not what the Bible means when it speaks of meekness. Meekness in the scriptures is strength and power that is perfectly under control because it is fully yielded to and dependent upon another. And the picture that's often used to describe this idea is the picture of a, of, a, of a powerful stallion or horse who is submitted to its rider. Um, but if we think about that picture, we need, we need to make sure we get it correct because it's not that this horse is being controlled by the rider through the use of a bridle and being manipulated that way. Now, the real picture of meekness is you take that bridle off. But that horse or stallion still submits to every whim and desire of its rider with no bridle at all. You see, meekness is a willing submission and dependence on another. It is the opposite of self-seeking and self-assertiveness. It combines the qualities of dependence, gentleness, and humility together. It is a willingness to fully yield to the will of God. It's a seeking of God's kingdom and not our kingdom. And it willingly surrenders its own rights for the good of others because it trusts in God. And it produces a humility before God that overflows into our relations with other people. And Jesus himself was the perfect picture of meekness. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Jesus talks about himself this way. He says, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the word gentle is the same root word as meekness. You see, Jesus in his life and death was really the perfect picture of meekness. Because, you know, when Jesus came to this world and he came into this world as a human being, he was, he was fully human. But he was also fully God at the same time in some way that we can't fully grasp. But as fully God, he is the one who created this universe. I mean, he's the one, the Bible says, that while he was here, was sustaining it with his very power. And he's the one who in a moment could speak a word and it would be dust. And so there's no, there's no weakness, no lack of power or strength in Jesus and his humanity. And you, you see glimpses of it from time to time when he calms a storm or raises the dead or does some other miraculous thing that just defies the laws of nature. You see the power. And yet when he came to this earth, he willingly yielded his strength and power to fulfill the will of God in coming to rescue us from our sins. And so when he came as a man, he, you didn't see that strength and power on display for his benefit, but he came because he was solely fixed on doing what was in our best interest and good. And so he yielded himself to his father's will and walked through being rejected, being tortured, being spit upon, being crucified in the most excruciating kind of death. And he never stood up for himself, not because he couldn't, but because through it all, he was fixed on the purpose of rescuing us, of making a way for us to be forgiven for our sins, to be restored back into a relationship with God. And as he hung on the cross in our place, taking our sin upon himself and literally bearing God's judge, just judgment for all that sin, in the infinite picture of meekness, perfect infinite strength in perfect submission for our good and the Father's will. Jesus was the infinite picture of what meekness looks like. And the wisdom of the cross, is a, it's a meek wisdom. It's not a wisdom that lacks strength and power, but a wisdom that looked out for others' good and not his own. And as those who would follow Jesus and those who would put their faith and trust in him as their savior who would make who would receive that gift of forgiveness and reconciliation to God by trusting in him and what he did we're called to follow his example of meekness the apostle paul calls us to it in ephesians 4 1 through 3 he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, there's the word again, same meekness word, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, Jesus was the wisdom of God in human form. And true wisdom is always accompanied by meekness and humility. It always seeks the good of others above its own interests. And that's the kind of wisdom Jesus displayed in coming to this earth. And that's the kind of wisdom we are called to as those who follow him. You see, meekness and humility, they, they, meekness forms the cart that godly wisdom rides upon. And in verse 17, James tells us that, that this godly wisdom is pure. It seeks God's truth and his will without sinful or mixed motives. And the word pure here would really be a summary term for godly wisdom in this verse. And in other words, when you, when oftentimes when you have a list of words like this in the New Testament, the first word is kind of the umbrella word. It's the, the, the big picture word, and the other words kind of flesh out what that first word means. And so the wisdom of God is pure. And the other words in this list flesh out what that purity looks like in different forms. And the purity of God's wisdom, it shows itself in a variety of ways. Godly wisdom loves and pursues peace in all things. Proverbs 3.17, speaking about wisdom, says, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And verse 17 goes on to tell us that this Wisdom is gentle, and gentle here has the idea of forbearing or bearing with people, even in their wrongs. See, this kind of wisdom, it's not defensive when wrong. It doesn't seek to force its way upon others. It forbears with others, even when they don't do or say the right things. It is open to reason. It listens carefully and values what others have to say. It's willing to graciously defer to others on things that are not essentials without insisting on its own perspective. And godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It's concerned with people, their situations, and their suffering. It is impartial. It doesn't take sides, but seeks truth in an unbiased way. It is sincere and without... Hypocrisy. There's no hidden motives that would be different or deceptive. No play acting or pretending in order to impress others or secure some personal gain. And godly wisdom is a seed that is sown in peace by those who seek to be peacemakers. And the fruit that it yields, James says, is a fruit of harvest of righteousness and peace. And James uses this picture here of a seed. And the idea is that, that the wisdom that shapes our heart flows out in the things we do and say. And those things we do and say are like seeds planted. And each seed will be characterized by the wisdom that produces it. And you know the thing about seeds is when seeds are planted... You don't get fruit right away, do you? But seeds have to sprout and 
grow and the plant comes up or the tree comes up and then eventually the fruit comes and there's a harvest. And I think that's one of the things that we kind of can miss in this idea of how the choices of things we say and do, the wisdom we use, how it affects our lives. See, because the fruit doesn't always come right away, it might be days or weeks or months or even years before the fruit of our choices is seen. We, we often lose the connection. We think there's no connection between the fruit we're experiencing in our life and the wisdom that's shaping how we live. James says, don't, don't miss that. He says, don't, don't think that just because it takes time for fruit to be born, that the wisdom that's shaping your life isn't bearing fruit according to its kind. Because the wisdom we live by, the seeds we plant from wisdom, will one day bear fruit according to its nature. I mean, James really tells us that in James 3.12, the verse right before our passage. He says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? In other words, the seeds you plant will bear fruit in the kind of the seed that it is. And the wisdom we rely on, it will always bear fruit according to its nature. And the wisdom we live by, it will be revealed by the fruit that it bears. So as we consider these two types of wisdom, let's return to James' initial invitation in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? See, James wants us to evaluate the fruit in our lives, to assess what kind of wisdom we live by. And as we do that, the question would be, would would we be aware of jealousy or selfish ambition at work in our hearts? I mean, let's just consider some of the possible areas. I mean, it could be on our jobs with a supervisor or co-worker. I mean, maybe someone else has the boss's favor or got the job we thought we deserved. Maybe it's how we've been treated compared to other employees. Maybe we're just too concerned with promoting ourselves. Or maybe it's in school with another student who seems to get all the attention or the breaks in class. Maybe they're just more popular than we are with other people. Or it could simply be envy or jealousy toward our friends or neighbors because they have something that we really desire for ourselves. And maybe it's a car or a house or some other possession or even a relationship of some kind. Maybe they're engaged to be married and we envy and jealously desire that for ourselves. Or maybe we're just too concerned about comparing ourselves with others. And what that says about our status or importance. And then how about in the church? I mean, this is really one of James' main concerns as he writes this, what's going on within the church community. But are we seeking to be diligent in guarding the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and how we interact with our church family? Are we too concerned with promoting our own views or ideas? 
Are we overly enamored with positions or roles or jealous of others who may serve in different ways? I mean, do we speak about others in a way to draw people to our side of a situation when we have a problem or concern with someone? I mean, do our words and actions build unity or damage it? You know, it's not coincidental that this little section on wisdom is right in the middle between what we looked at last week on how the tongue can be used to either build up or tear down and destroy. And what we'll see next week about how conflicts and, and uh, relational difficulties can affect the community. See, that's the kind of fruit that jealousy and selfish ambition bear. And that's not God's wisdom. If I could have the worship team come and join me. So verse 17 says... But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And you know, when we consider the list of qualities that describe godly wisdom, I mean, we might be tempted to be discouraged at how we do in living out some of those things. Because we're, we're all in process, right? But you see, godly wisdom is not something we manufacture ourselves in our own hearts. It is from above. It is a gift of God's grace to us. And James tells us in James 1.5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You see, God desires to help us grow in living by his wisdom. He is committed to building godly wisdom into our lives if we will receive it. And you know, it's really like every other area that James has been bringing to our attention in this letter. If we will receive God's wisdom in his word implanted, in our hearts, if we will seek to be a doer of that word, relying on his grace and his power as we seek to obey and live it out, God, by his grace, will change us and help us grow in godly wisdom. And we will see a growing harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. So which kind of wisdom do you want to live by? A wisdom that produces disorder in every evil practice? Or wisdom that produces righteousness and peace? I mean, really, that's the choice that is before us each and every day. And like a grapevine or a fig tree, wisdom, too, bears fruit. And we may not always see it today or tomorrow, but the fruit will come because the wisdom we live by will be revealed by the fruit that it bears. So let's close by standing and just singing this song as a way to express our desire to want to be more like Jesus in the godly wisdom that he manifested to us.